Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We've got Super Talk Do It All Man Michael Borky in the co host chair for Weldon Rodenberg for one more week as Weldon jets back across the Atlantic from his. Uh, European vacation. Saw dispatches from a uh, soccer game this weekend. I have no clue what league or what country. I'm sure we'll get his thoughts on that when he comes back on the pod this week. But anyway, Borky filling in for one more week as we talk. Quarterback situation, Luke Altmyer's injury. Why we really don't know a ton about this team, why games like Saturday are probably um, on the precipice of going away uh, as college football just moves in another direction. And uh, what me what we might learn about this team this week and in Atlanta, as well as the craziness that was college football this weekend, some A&M stuff, Florida in there as well. So uh, buckle up. It's a good show. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. But before we get to that, I want to remind you, the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. If you're sitting here listening to this on a Monday morning, avoiding the man asking you to square up, you need Skybox. They're the only ones that are going to lead you to profit in the long run. Their method is proven. They go based off the math, not a lean they have 20 minutes before a kickoff. You need to check them out. They're going to have a picks package to w- it with that fits your price range. Uh, that's month-long week-long, season-long. Hell, you can even try it for a day. I'd recommend just signing up for the year-long all-access pass and profit with Skybox. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use their promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off. The NFL's back. How about that? I enjoyed watching Red Zone for seven hours. You would enjoy it more if you were winning money with Skybox. So check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by MIMS Insurance. Matt MIMS, independent insurance agent there based in Oxford gas is expensive right now. Everything's expensive. You don't want to be losing money just because you don't understand the insurance process and how to go about getting the best possible rate. That's where Matt Mims comes in. He's an independent insurance agent all across the state of Mississippi. He's based in Oxford, but he can get you insured anywhere across the Magnolia state. All you have to do is call him at 601-218-7854. And he's going to shop your quote around to 10 different independent insurance or 10 different agencies, I should say. And his whole job is to find you the best possible quote. Boom. Takes care of the hassle right then and there. If you're looking to get something insured, whether it's a house, a boat, congrats on the sick boat, maybe a plane. I don't know. Maybe it's life insurance. I don't know what you people have going on. All you have to do is call Matt Mims. He takes the hassle out for you, handles everything, comes back with the quote, and boom. You know you've saved money. You know you got the best possible uh, rate for whatever it is you're trying to get insured. And there's no hassle. And that is uh, his whole job. So check him out. Matt Mims, independent insurance agent there based in Oxford. All right. Here is Michael Borky on a crazy week two in college football and uh, particularly some old Miss stuff. All right. We now welcome on Super Talk Do It All Man, Michael Borky, Sports Talk Mississippi, three to six, Monday through Friday, filling in in the co-host chair once again for Weldon Rodenberg, who might, as we speak, be in a plane across the Atlantic coming back from Europe. He sent me a really cool video from some soccer match in whatever country that was. I honest to God don't know, but uh, he's coming back, uh, I think, for a midweek pod. But anyway, Borky in the co-host chair again this week. We'll talk some Ole Miss Central Arkansas, some being the emphasis, then probably bounce around the league and get out of here. 
Uh, have you enjoyed the day as much as I have? Having the NFL back and just Saturday football and then seven hours of red zone has been just amazing. Oh, see, I didn't watch red zone. I had to watch the Saints today. That's fair. See, I don't I have a team, the Titans, but the Titans I'll have one TV. They're never pulling me away from red zone. If I have one TV, I got to say it's honestly just red zone, but I'm an admittedly a fair weather Titans fan. They, I don't let them ruin my day anymore. The the witching hour was apparently incredible. You see wow. you had this, the, the Saints winning on essentially a game-winning field goal, but then having to block a true game-winning field goal and then you had whatever the hell was going on uh in Cincinnati with that abomination um trevor lawrence wait 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 trevor lawrence is the pick right that ended that game and washington won yes he so but wentz also threw terrible two terrible picks i thought jacksonville was going to win three different times then all of a sudden i was like oh washington's won with these it was a it was a rock fight for sure the Cincinnati all that going on at once. Yeah, Cincinnati Pittsburgh was out of control. I, I usually like I usually scoff at kind of the corny Twitter joke about like being tired, but someone did tweet like I'm exhausted heading into these late games. I was like, honestly, I thought I might have broken a sweat. It really was nuts. They they did not ease us back into the witching hour. It was crazy. That Pittsburgh game was just insane. Uh Indianapolis and the Texans tied in overtime. The overtime sucked, but the end of that game was nuts. The Saints game was crazy. And honest to God, you had a crazy backdoor cover and almost a uh, a backdoor win from Detroit as well. So pretty much every game outside of like two was awesome. Everything you could have asked for. And right now I've got the uh, the, the Dallas game up. And um, if, in fact, Tom Brady is dealing with issues at home, uh, physically he doesn't look like it. I mean, just at his age, to, to throw the football with the velocity that he can throw it with. It, it's shocking, man, that at his age, he still looks like this. Aside from the plastic surgery part of it, right? Or the Botox, is, you can't tell. Yeah, he's 100% getting Botox. Oh, I'm bad. I have a bad radar when it comes to that. Just ask uh, MC. She's like, I can't believe you can't tell that person's had work done. I can tell easily. He stepped to the podium a couple, week, a couple weeks ago after his hiatus is over, and I was like, my God, this guy, if you light a match around him, he might start melting. Maybe that's what he was actually doing. He wasn't doing the masked singer. It wasn't any of this page six rumor. He was just getting some work done on his face. Maybe so. If that keeps him out 11 days, I feel like you should have to put that on the injury report, and I hope they get fined for it if so. But, yeah, he looks pretty good. Um, Dallas kind of looks like a mess early on, but early in that game. But just a great weekend and a great day of football, an incredible day of college football yesterday and we'll we'll get to all of that probably in a minute let's start with Ole Miss so Ole Miss plays a six o'clock game in the rain I say in the rain weird weather cloudy wet from the day before a little bit of rain um for some of the game but just kind of damp conditions uh they won 59 to three Luke Altmeyer plays kind of gets hurt then you see some dart it was a very weird game it was a much more favorable result but I guess I'll start with just a great great uh great starter here I don't know anything about this team yet no there are some things with the quarterback situation that we can take away from this game I suppose I mean some things but I mean I, I say this too much on our show I grew up on FCS football I love it I've got a soft spot in my heart for it um, the, these programs, I think, are vital. I mean, the, the, they offer, what is it, 62 scholars. Each one of these programs gives 62 kids full rides to go get an education for free, and they play football on top of that. And these games 
are vital to the existence of a lot of these athletic departments, them going away, I think would end up costing a lot. And I don't want to see that because I grew up on it. I love it. It's a big part of why I love the game so much. But after one series last night, you knew that everybody on the field is wasting their time. That that was a waste of time yesterday. I mean, it, poor Central Arkansas's coach. When they had that uh, the touchdown, their one touchdown wiped off the board. You could see, and it was a bad call, but you could see him go to the refs. It, it like he was just like, "Come on!" I, I mean, look, at, pl- just give me something. Come on! I just want one thing that I could take back home with us, and he didn't get it. But that was a waste of time. We learned really mostly nothing. Now, I think the quarterback situation is settled maybe by default, but outside of that, I have no idea if the offensive line improved from last week. At times, they still gave up some pressure, which is very concerning considering the opponent. Um, I, I don't think we we learned anything about wide receiver. I don't think we learned anything about them defensively other than they look like they have a chance at being quite good, but the caveat is such a significant one it's just so hard to to take anything away from a game that is such a dramatic mismatch. And let's be honest, it's a money grab and good for Central Arkansas, but that's all it was. Yeah, you're right on that piece of it. And you know, I read Neil's 10 thoughts column before we started recording um, here about 45 minutes ago, and he led with that um, about how these games are. I think he t- said he talked to someone in athletics and he remarked that those these games are two feet under. And in a couple of years, they'll probably be six feet under. And you're right. I, it's a weird place to be because I understand the necessity of needing to trim these games, needing to trim the fat as the money gets bigger, the TV deals get bigger. Um, you know, adding a conference expansion is another piece of it because, you know, as the SEC keeps getting bigger, I don't think they can stay at an eight, eight conference game thing. I think nine and maybe beyond that is coming soon. But you're right, it does stink for a lot of these regions. You, I've heard you talk about it through, through the years growing up on FCS football. I don't even know if this is the greatest example of it, but this was what App State was 10 years ago. And I know they're having their moment now, and they're on, they got college game day coming. They shocked the world. We'll talk about that upset in a minute. But, like, they were a, – a, I mean, they're still regional, but, like, they were a regional FCS school that had a pretty good reputation um, that kind of exploded on the scene against Michigan in 2007. And – uh, it helps out a lot of kids, and I agree. I just don't know if there's a good fix. But to your point, you're totally correct. It was so bad that it was screwing up what they were trying to do with the quarterback. Congrats to Ole Miss for blocking two punts, but I imagine in the lane in the back of his mind was just like, really? Like, just let the kid not let the yeah, kid. So like, can the kid just get the punt off so he, he can stop doing this? You were at the Luke game, went, right? Luke went like 11 minutes without a real drive, right? All yeah. Time. You were at the game, weren't you? Yes, I was there. I'll so, ask my parents for this one. So after they blocked the punt, the camera cut to Lane Kiffin, and Aaron Murray was like, Lane, you got to get excited. You just dropped a punt. And his face was just like statuesque. He was he was mad, but he didn't want to show that he was mad because that's insulting Central Arkansas. But he was mad they blocked the punt because he wanted to see Luke get a full field drive. You could tell that they told them, I know you can, but don't. For the rest of the game, they could have blocked six punts last night if they wanted to. They were they were instruct. I swear you couldn't tell me otherwise. Lane Kiffin can stand at the podium tomorrow and say, I did not tell them not to block punts and I would call him a liar. They absolutely told them to stop doing that so they could get uh, some actual looks. 
And that's what makes this so difficult because, you know, on one hand, I do think that we have the answer on who is going to be the quarterback, at least in the, in the immediate future. I think we know that answer now, but the same thing I said last week about Jackson Dart does apply this week. Luke Altmaier did look comfortable early. Now that throw to Mingo on the sideline, you don't complete that pass against Arkansas or Kentucky here in a couple of weeks. Mingo wrapped his arms around a defender and caught the ball behind a defender. It was a poorly placed football, but it was caught nonetheless. One of his touchdown passes, a, a better defender brings Luke Altmaier to the ground as opposed to holding onto his ankles and just hoping he falls. That kind of stuff, that's real, but he did look comfortable, and he he did look like he was in complete and total command of the offense, but how much of that can be attributed to the opponent? I, I don't know. And then Jackson, and then he gets hurt and then really falls off, makes a couple of bad decisions because he's a young quarterback in his first start. He made a couple of bad decisions because young quarterbacks with limited action are going to make bad decisions. But then after that, Dart comes in and was absolutely not perfect, but he showed you why people are so excited about him. And then you look at the opponent. So it's like Dart looked better and also more comfortable and threw a couple of deep balls that I'm not sure that Altmaier can, can do, but also he wasn't perfect. Luke looked sharp, sharp early before his injury, but it's, it's central Arkansas. I mean, how, how can you even really gauge how well both of the, those guys did when they had more pressure to perform in a couple of scrimmages back during camp than they did on Saturday night? Yeah, that's the weird part about all of this. I rewatched the game this morning, um, and I, this is a rant for a later day. But like, my parents sit in end zone club seats now, and we—I grew up. We just had like normal seats on the fifty yard line, or right around the forty, or whatever, just in the bleachers, and it was awesome. But like, look, I get it. They like the box, blah blah blah. You can't see anything. I couldn't tell anything. I—I I, I may as I watched the game live. But outside of really, if I was really trying to just stare in and super like lock in, outside of that, I couldn't tell anything. And so, like, that was like, watching it this morning, I guess I was more impressed with Luke Altmeyer on the second watch before said injury. And I don't know when that occurred specifically. I guess I'll defer to you and start with you there. I was trying to figure it out. I thought it might be on the drive that they had around six minutes to go in the second quarter where it stalls out by the end zone. I believe the drive ends where he tries the not-so-smart flip pass to Casey Kelly running out of bounds, and it didn't work, and um, that drive ended up fizzling out there. Do we know when he got hurt? Because that's that's probably the start of the story here in a lot of senses. We'll, you know, We had the weird media relations update. Kiffin said in the postgame presser, he asked Altmaier if he could go. He said, I can, but I'm not 100%, but medical didn't pull him. I, I get there's a difference, right? There's a certain point where the medical staff's like, this kid can't go back in the game. I always think of head injuries when that happens, but of course it can probably be other stuff as well, right? If your you know, um, ACL is ripped in half, they're probably going to tell you, no, nah, probably don't need to do that. But point being, do you know when he got hurt? Do, like, No, you know, no. I, I noticed it around when you did. I actually tweeted it. was like, is anybody else seeing this? Because, because they didn't acknowledge it on the broadcast right away. And he was, I mean, clearly just like kind of, like moving his arm in a way where, where it's like, it just, this just doesn't feel right. And I don't know exactly when it happened truthfully, but I, I think that 
clearly, even the, the, the interception, which was a really bad decision, he had nothing. I mean, nothing on that football at all. So it clearly affected the, the way he performed after it happened. Um, doesn't negate two bad decisions, but he was clearly not, I mean, as he said himself, but he was clearly not 100% after it happened. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, you. it's funny you mentioned the interception. I actually just have it pulled up here right now. I had a couple, like, spots saved in the little YouTube replay. On the TV graphic, before he threw that pick, and you can see him messing with his shoulder after the pick, it said started 6 of 7, 0 of 5 cents. And, like, that was kind of perfect timing in terms of, like, a TV graphic. And then he noodles that ball to – I always want to say Drummond. The numbers are still getting me. Whoever was wearing 11 this year – and it wasn't even close. But to your point, it was a bad decision from like a coverage standpoint, but that football also had absolutely nothing on it. And then that's when it became abundantly obvious he's hurt. But then the way it plays out next is even stranger, right? Like you have the media relations update where <laughs> at first, the, considering the source, when I saw the tweet, I was like, oh, someone misinterpreted something up there in the press box. But then Nick Suss put it out and Neil confirmed it that the media relations did say he was pulled because of the interception, not because of injury, and then corrected it afterward. I don't know what the deal was with that. What Wait, so so the media relations guy corrected that statement afterwards? I asked Suss last night. I don't want to put words in his mouth. I'll pull up the text. I was just trying to get to the bottom of it out of curiosity, and I just said, hey, did they actually do that? Because you and I were texting during while this happened, and we're both pretty shocked that they would put up put an update out like that, right? I was like, this doesn't really yeah. make a ton of sense. But Suss said they put that out, and then like five minutes later said they're acknowledged there was an injury. So it sounded like there maybe was a mix up instead of some sort of like malicious intent. Um, you know, a lot of times, so Kyle Campbell is on the field for most of the game. I actually don't know if he's the guy that gets relayed stuff like that, but I do see a window where they haven't been told up in the box that there's an injury yet. Maybe they don't notice he's screwing with the shoulder. Cause again, they don't really have the benefit of the TV broadcast other than it being up in the corner in each press box side, if you kind of get what I'm getting at. And so maybe they got asked and they said, no, we haven't heard, like, you know, we don't have an injury report. So he got pulled because of the pick and then they get the injury update maybe, but I don't know. I just have a hard time. Brad and all those guys are, are pretty good at their job. I don't think they willingly just like out of nowhere, just say, Hey, we know there's an injury, but that's not why he got pulled. That doesn't seem plausible to me. Yes, whether it got lost in translation or not, that that is simply a, a bizarre thing because, I mean, as we know, Lane Kiffin is very conscious about how he handles the mental oh, yeah. makeup of his quarterbacks. That is something and that he thinks about. Too. And injuries. And when I saw that, I was absolutely shocked. I was like, something's up because there's no possible way. There, there's no way that Lane Kiffin turned to a, a media relations guy and said, go tell the press box that I pulled him because of the interception and not because he's hurt. Like there, there is absolute, I, I would never have believed it. And, and when I saw it, I was like, okay, there's something up because there's no way that he relayed that information to get that up to the press box. Cause that runs counter to everything that you know about how he's handled his time at Ole Miss, at least for the last two years and two games. So I mean, it, it's a it's a bizarre. It's kind of a microcosm of this whole deal, right? It, it's a it's a very bizarre thing that happened with it within a pretty bizarre quarterback battle that 
hasn't yet resolved itself, despite what I and, and most people think at this point that it has, but no formal resolution. Now you've got a weird injury mixed in there. It's this this whole thing has been very, very bizarre. And I wonder if in hindsight they would have handled this differently. They might have. And I will to add a little bit of context to this. It's been a while since I've worked a game in a press box. I guess 2019 Super Talk would be the last time I did such a thing. If I got it, look, I know some people are questioning like the source of it at the beginning of it, and then a couple other people put it out and Neil confirms it or whatever. That's not really the point. I will say, and I don't know how it was relayed. I don't know if someone went up and asked individually, but you know, a lot of times they give updates over the loudspeaker. So there's their, you know, there's their own public address announcer in the press box who narrates the game. It's not Glenn Waddle, though you can hear Glenn Waddle through the glass very easily, but it's another guy. And a lot of times they'll put out injury updates or some other update or some milestone. If it was relayed over that, and me sitting in those shoes, I wouldn't think anything of it, and I would put it out there and run with it. Yeah. It's just kind of like a routine thing. And so I'm curious to how that was conveyed, what that actually looked like. But I just I, I thought that was an important thing to note. Is like I wouldn't really have much problem running with it if that's the way it was conveyed. Maybe it was just a classic mix-up. But be that as it may, he clearly has an injury. I don't know what it is. Do, would, if you had to take a guess, did shoulder, like I heard hand too. He was clearly screwing with the shoulder, but on top of that, what do you have an idea what it might be? It, it looked like shoulder. I mean, I, I've tried to ask the, the few people that, that I know that would know, and, and they all, nobody knows anything. Uh, hand is a new one though. I have not heard that at all. It just, it always looked like he was favoring uh, his shoulder. I mean, after every throw, he was, he was shaking it. And then uh, they, they showed him talking, uh, on the sideline and and he, he literally pointed to his own shoulder and was like that that something's wrong up here okay um I, I admire him for toughing it out i mean and i feel terrible for the guy you know he he was off to a good start and, and whether or not you think he's actually in the battle i mean he's in it and he's getting his chance to play and is playing well and then gets hurt and whether or not the injury caused all of the drop-off, he fell off a cliff. I mean, completely. And then the guy that he's battling with steps in and throws a couple pretty deep balls. And suddenly everybody's like, well, that's the guy. It just It's an unfortunate string of events for him. Um, I, I, this is tough. I, I understand why I think they handled it this way. Yeah. I understand why I think they handled it this way. But – you know, I said a second ago that I can't help but wonder if they do it differently, especially now, because you've taken valuable reps away from the guy that's going to go to Georgia Tech and try to win a football game. But more importantly, you've taken valuable reps away from the guy that's going to have to play Kentucky here uh, in two and a half, well, not more, under three weeks, in 20 days. And Kentucky just went to Gainesville and won and gave Anthony Richardson all kinds of hell. And so now, I mean, Kentucky's going to be ranked in the top 10 when they come to Oxford. And, and whoever it's going to be at least gets these two weeks to, to get ready for that. But you could have used these last two weeks to give them nothing but first-team reps in practice and in these games to get ready for this because, I mean, Kentucky is – I hope people always were taking them seriously, but I hope they have people's attention now. That's going to be a top-10 team coming into Oxford in three weeks. It is – it's it's a different animal than what I even thought they were going to be going into the season. And and now at least maybe their hand was forced here. 
but I, I think they could possibly be to some degree behind the eight ball in terms of de- developing the guy and getting him ready for the back half of the schedule, which is brutal. I'll offer Well, first of all, I'll clear up the hand thing. So I, that was me. I should have worded that better. That was me just going on top. Clearly, it was a shoulder thing, right? He's pointing to the shoulder. He walks off the field. You see the sideline piece of it. I just noticed he was screwing with his hand on the drive that about six or seven minutes to go in the second quarter and just thought maybe maybe that's just a tick that he has. I don't know. But I knew it was a shoulder. I just didn't know if there was anything else on top of it as well because there was also a run that he had that I noticed that it didn't look the same way when I watched on TV, but in live action where he scrambled to the left side of the field. or I guess, Yeah, far side of the field. And it looked like someone fell on his leg. And he would seem to be fine completely after that. So it seems like it's a shoulder thing. It's weird that Kiffin mentioned that uh, medical didn't take him out, but he did say he couldn't he couldn't play, but he's not 100%. Just like you mentioned, just a weird thing all around. To your point on the, um, on the development piece of it, I threw this kind of scenario at Ryan Buchanan earlier this week, and I was fascinated by his answer. And I know I've talked about this on the post-game show, and on a solo thing in the on the Friday podcast, but Buchanan was in you know this. It's maybe a guy that just lost a quarterback competition to Chad Kelly speaking, but he was like, "I wish I had this. I wish we'd each have a game to get actual game reps." And whether you like whether you, know, you collectively you out there listening agree disagree with that, I thought it was an interesting way to look at it because he mentioned you don't have to worry about alternating series or getting a half, and you get kind of basically a full game. And on top of that, we were talking about last week, what can you actually tell versus Troy in Central Arkansas? And he mentioned the stuff that they're going to look at these guys on film with is stuff that we're never going to be able to understand watching in person and watching on TV unless we have some sort of really, really um, intimate knowledge of their offense. Some of the reads, he he used um, Bo Wallace, the, the famous Bo Wallace hand it to Jalen Walton, keep it yourself, or dump it to Evan Ingram play. Where a lot of times, you know, he keeps it himself or he gives it to Jalen Walton in fantasy an eight-yard game where the read is actually Evan Ingram's mm-hmm. wide open or vice versa. That type of stuff. He mentioned that a lot of what they're going to be evaluating them off of is reads and decision-making and stuff that we don't know and we can't see. And I found that part of it fascinating. But I also there I have part of me that thinks kind of along the same lines as you is like, Look, there's a lot of unknown on this team. Both of these guys are really new. Both of them are younger players. You know, Georgia Tech looks competent defensively. I don't mm-hmm. know what they did this past week, but they were pretty good defensively. They beat up on Western Carolina. Oh, fair. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So cupcake game, but they were good defensively against Georgia Tech. They were just, or excuse me, against Clemson. They were just on the field for a million minutes and then it finally took yeah. the case because the offense was so bad. Ole Miss should win that game. But I do wonder if more reps with one guy against a real defense could have been better. But in to some degree, a decision will be made this week, don't you think? I don't yeah. think it, – it's Kiffin. Who the hell knows? But I don't think they go into this game and in Atlanta with an unknown at the quarterback thing, and they say, we'll see, right? It certainly sounded like on Monday that he was done with this. And I could be reading too far into it. He didn't offer up enough for, for me to be like, yeah, that's definitely what he meant. But it's it sounds like th- this part of it is over. And I think it has to be. It, it has to be at this point. And I know it's a very difficult decision. It is. I, I don't envy him, honestly, at this point. We'll see about the injury. Maybe that makes the decision for them. Um. I mean, there, there's things that Dart doesn't do well. Uh, from my untrained eye, I'm, I'm no quarterback coach, but it looks like at times he, his feet aren't set 
and that causes a lot of errant throws because he's either rushing or whatever, but it, so often he throws when his feet are not set and it's causing incompletions. But he did show you uh, his talent ceiling and the ability to throw a good deep ball. Is it consistent? No. But and, and the thing that's kind of driving me crazy with both guys um, in this is how heavily scrutinized every single every single throw is. I mean, Dart had one series where he threw three incompletions. One was a bad pass. The other one should have been pass interference. And the other one was a miscommunication where it looked like he wanted Bentley to sit down in the zone and Bentley kept running and ball fell incomplete. After that, I had three people tweet at me like, oh, well, see, he had a... it's like I, I watched CJ Stroud for a quarter play against Arkansas State this weekend, and he had a series where he looked bad. I mean, th these are human beings after all. I mean, even Matt Corral, when he was at his best, didn't score a touchdown on every drive, didn't complete every pass. I, I think it it's gotten silly with how scrutinized both of these guys are. Like Luke Altmaier made two really bad decisions. And I, I saw some people like, oh, well, it's over. Job's done. It's like, wait, well, Jackson Dart made a really bad decision last week. I mean, he did the exact same thing last week through an ill-advised football. Altmaier did it twice this week, but but still, it's, I mean, one guy performing well doesn't, especially in the vacuum of Central Arkansas, Dart did look better yesterday, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's him and it's over, and Luke Altmaier making one mistake doesn't mean that he's a bum. It's it's so high and low with this, and it's it's like, some fans anyway have forgotten what quarterback development is. I mean, Texas is not central Arkansas. They're significantly better than that, but the Heisman trophy winner, the Heisman trophy winner who played in the national championship game and, sh and without an injury probably wins it was shook on Saturday for, for periods of time. Now he made it a great play escaping the pocket and, and all that. He was great at the end, but for, Three quarters, he wasn't getting help up front. He wasn't getting help from his wide receivers. But the Heisman Trophy winner was shook in a game. It's going to happen to these guys, too. And, and I think that the hyper-critical nature that some people are, are applying to this is toxic. I think it's a bad energy because let's pretend that it is Jackson Dart like I think it is. I promise you he will make a mistake on Saturday. It's going to happen. I guarantee it. He will. And what, what the next thing that cannot happen is Luke needs to go play. Because I guarantee you, if Luke is the guy on Saturday, he will make a mistake too. And it's, it's just like nobody has the patience to develop or, or to watch these kids develop. It's either you are perfect or you are not the guy I want. And there's no in between. And it's created. just needs to end so that kind of stuff can stop and people can just relax and appreciate that these are imperfect young quarterbacks that need time to screw up and learn from it yeah you're exactly right on that front too and i think that's just a natural byproduct of this extending into the season and like what you're talking about is definitely fair and valid but like in from kiffin's vantage point guess what he doesn't give a shit about people arguing over the quarterback oh no no see i've i've heard that uh he, he's gonna play dart just because of the <laughs> hype so yeah it's 
because, because he that doesn't bother him. And so while what you're saying is definitely a byproduct of this extending into the season and it'll create for some nauseating uh, reaction to content, I'd say probably in some cases, some nauseating content as well. I, I don't like, I think it's like, I don't think that's a concern of the coaching staff, but it is, mm-hmm. it makes for a weird um, dialogue, I guess, when you yeah. talk about this team, right? Because it is hyper reactive as you perfectly put it there. And like the, no, if you think, if you think Lane Kiffin's concerned about hype, look no further than John Rice Plumley. Yeah. I mean, you want I mean, to talk it, about hype going into the 2020 season, Cole Kublik, who is brilliant. And he knows a lot about a lot in college football, and he's connected. He came on our show like two weeks before the season started talking about how great John Rice Plumlee's going to be in Kiffin's offense. And finally, it was like, hey, dude, he's not going to play. I mean, so even somebody as connected as him was full bought into the hype of Plumlee. And to your point, and it's a good one, that's not why this is going on. Hype is not a driving factor in this despite what some people uh, think is not driving this at all, not even a little. And the other weird piece of it too is like, so Dart comes in and I thought he had like, again, for like his first week did some good stuff and did some bad stuff. But the quarter and a half that Luke played healthy, presumably is, is we kind of think the injury happened the way it did. I, I thought you could tell a little more than what you could have told from darts first half last week, but not much. Like, I guess my point in that is like, I did, I left there thinking, I don't know what to make of this. Right. They let him throw it a little more because they just weren't running for 25 yards of play at will. Like they did against a little bit more formidable opponent in Troy, where at least for a second or a quarter, you have to kind of pretend to worry about the outcome. But like, it's, it's not for a lack of anything Altmaier's done. It's just the way the cookies crumbled. And it's not necessarily, yeah. in my opinion, what they've done on a drive-to-drive, down-to-down basis. It's they appear to be both similar levels of consistency. And by that, I mean relatively inconsistent. It's just the top-end potential one guy's shown versus the other. And I don't know if that's necessarily fair to Luke, but I do feel like that's the reason this has played out the way it has and i'm kind of with you i don't think i think this thing is settled the injury may have kind of partially cemented it by default but i would be very surprised if anyone other than jackson dart started at georgia tech yeah there's a couple of throws in in, in central arkansas it it, it is and he missed these uh, against troy but there was a couple of throws that he made where i thought can altmeyer do that yep and if the answer is yes, then then yes. But we haven't seen it. What what is so interesting here is because uh, I, I have I've heard people and we we get texts into our show all the time about how well why does Old Miss need to to play the guy that's more risky because they're they have a great defensive running game and they can just win with that. My answer is always no. You can't. I mean, sure you you know you might be able to be at Auburn and, and Vanderbilt and maybe Mississippi State. Like you can have a fine season managing the game at the quarterback position and running and playing defense. But do you think, I mean, truly, do you think that that Lane Kiffin thinks that they can defense and running game their way to an access bowl? Because when you look at the schedule now, that is possible. I don't know if it's going to happen, but it's possible. They can get there. Alabama looks vulnerable. Auburn has, has been anything but impressive. Mississippi State looks good, but you get them at home. K 
Kentucky looks good, but you get them at home, and, and suddenly you can start look at Texas A and M. My God, look at Texas A and M. So suddenly you start looking at the schedule and thinking, shoot, they've got a shot here. But you're not going to in this conference, in this division, with your roster, defense and running game your way to double-digit wins, which is where they think, as far as I understand it, that that's what they think their ceiling is. They think they can be last year's team again. But to get there, you've got to be more than that. Because even Nick Saban's Alabama decided, we can't defense and running game our way to wins in this league anymore. You've got to go to Fayetteville. You've got to go to Baton Rouge. You've got to go to College Station. And yes, Appalachian State won there, but still. You have a good roster. You have an elite-level running back room. But are you confident that that offensive line can just push Arkansas around? Because I'm not. Are you confident that offensive line can push around Alabama where you can just dink and dunk and game manage and run the football and beat them? I'm not. So it, it's it, that's the decision for the coaches to make. But if, if you're saying that they just need to game manage at quarterback, I don't think that's a strategy that maximizes their – their win probability. And I, look, I think I know who that guy is, but I don't go to practice. I don't know who that guy is. But going safe and game managing is not going to go win in Fayetteville, for example. And even if there's a path to that, right? Like, you know, because there is a lot of territory in between, right? Like, you know, you can manage a game and still be an effective quarterback, or you can be captain check down right and literally not push the ball down the field right there's some room in the middle but like i think the more important like piece of that too on because i agree with that general sentiment whether that even if they could like if you just outlined me a path and just said hey you know if it's x guy and he throws it down the field four times a game and keeps it pretty bottled up after that that's not how this head coach's brain is wired even if there was a way to do that I just don't think Kiffin's wired that way, and I think he's probably going to go with the guy at the upside that can create explosive plays and be explosive as well. And so that's why I think it's lended itself this way too. And to be fair about the kind of throwing it down the field piece, yes, that was clearly a storyline coming out of camp. Um, and I think you described it earlier. as like there were a couple of throws last night, one of them to uh, to Dayton Wade. And then honestly, I thought one of Dart's best throws was the, got called back on the penalty, the one where he dropped over the middle of the field, Domingo. They got yeah. called back for some sort of penalty. You you framed it as can, can Luke Altmaier do that? We haven't been shown that, but there, I will give him credit. I and mean, people rightly bring this up to me via email and stuff all the time. There was some stuff in the Sugar Bowl where he improv pretty well and threw the yeah. ball off script down the field pretty well. We just haven't seen that since, and it doesn't sound like they've gotten more of that in camp. And so kind of to, I guess, put a bow on the quarterback discussion because doesn't it feel like we've had some like pretty similar version of the same conversation now for two weeks and even going back to camp? Yeah, and That's kind of the point, right? It's not that one guy separated themselves. It's just – this seems relatively even. Both of these games have gotten weird. Agree, disagree with Kiffin's strategy. It's six one half dozen the other, 55-45, 51-49. Let's go with the guy that we think has the higher upside. And be that as it may, if it is dark, Kiffin pointed out last week is like, even if we pick a guy, that doesn't mean it's correct. NFL teams miss on these guys all, yeah. all the time. It doesn't mean our decision is correct. And I think that's important to factor into it as well but i do think that this is winding down to an end temporarily and the only way it gets struggled like gets started back up again is if dart struggles in the next three to four games is kind of where i'm at yeah and, and 
coaches embellish at times, even Lane Kiffin, but he's more honest than most. And and that, that's worth remembering and pointing out just because if it is Jackson Dart this weekend, doesn't mean it will always be. If he doesn't progress at all, if he's not learning, if he's not taking coaching and adjusting, then then he won't keep the job forever. And it's a physical game. I mean, we we learned it, unfortunately, with Altmaier. You're one play away from needing your backup guy to not only like, you know, get in the game and play, but be engaged and ready to play. Luke Altmaier last year had to play in Neyland Stadium at Jordan Hare and in the Superdome. I mean, the, the, that was his game action last year, his meaningful game action. Um, the the same thing could absolutely happen here as well, but I agree with you. It, it's all the same. I mean, there, there's so little. I try so hard to take something away from the two games that we saw, but what we saw was young quarterbacks um, did some nice things, showed their talent at times, showed their bad decision-making at times, and that that's all we've got. Um, we'll we'll – feel out the severity of the injury but that just might be the catalyst for the decision and they rock forward i don't know i mean this was how long have we been on this uh about 30 minutes so yeah. thir- thir- 30 minutes of i don't know basically it's what this is because thanks for tuning in that's been talking quarterbacks i <laughs> but it is you're right yeah we we nailed it but that that's what it is and and like, the, but that's why I'm kind of excited for next week, right? Like, I do in terms of excitement, like, again, I was enjoyed going to the game with my parents and all that. Don't get me wrong, but in terms of like excitement level, I just wasn't thrilled about like going into either one of these games because I thought we'd end up right where we ended up, where it was like, I don't think we learned anything about either of these guys. And now I'm kind of excited to get to a week where it's like, all right, real opponent, what does this look like? Are you going to well, handle yourself okay? Yes. And are and you we, going to make a critical mistake that allows you to lose to a worse team? Like, that's where I'm at currently, and I'm really excited to find that out. And, and we might actually get to see them scheme up somebody, or maybe not if, if they're really overmatched, or if Georgia Tech's really overmatched. But we have yet – I had somebody ask me, like, hey, are you not impressed with Charlie Weiss Jr.'s offense? I said, we have not seen – Lane Kiffin and Charlie West Jr.'s offense yet. Like we, we haven't seen it yet. They've put some things on film to get evaluations, but in terms of scheming up an opponent and exploiting mismatches and stuff like that that, they are, that Lane Kiffin especially is so good at, we haven't seen that yet. We, have not, we haven't come anywhere close to seeing them scheme up an opponent, truly scheme one up yet. Maybe we get to see that this weekend. Yeah, I think you finally will at least to uh, at least to some degree. And look, it's when you have a guy, it's just different too. I know they can all talk about like you know we don't care, we get reps with both of them. But when you have it that settled and that behind you, even if it's just like subconsciously that it, it things are different. And I wonder if one of the quarterbacks will play differently. And I guess when I say one of the quarterbacks, Dart, right? As I'm just replaying for the third time, him missing a wide open. Was that JJ Henry? I couldn't tell who that was before making a pretty yeah. throw after that. So, yeah, it, it it it'll be, you know, it's still wait and see and I'd like to see what that looks like next week. Before we get to some kind of bouncing around the SEC and some other stuff. I didn't see much. There wasn't a whole lot else to take away from this game. I will say just following up on what we discussed last week, the offensive line appears to be the offensive line. Um they played those five guys for pretty much the entire first half and half of the third quarter in their first version of substitution came with Micah Pettis coming at right tackle and Mason Brooks playing guard again. And again, 
things change. I get it. That's not what was sold. I don't know what is up there. I, I, the, the guard thing makes it weirder. It'd be almost like less weird if he just weren't playing. Yeah. But like the inside thing, but again, I'm far from an offensive line savant. That was just interesting and stuck out to me. Um, just kind of rolling through them pretty quickly here. They seem to, I'm ready to even go there. They seem to have hit on two more transfers. Coleman is really, really good and really, really quick. You didn't see a ton from anyone specifically defensively yesterday just because they played a bunch of guys. But like Aishim Young's pick in the end zone, he appears to be really good. They appear to have hit on their evaluations again in the transfer portal, which shouldn't go unnoticed because you can miss an evals all the time. It's kind of the name of this game. And they've really made a lot of hay and expedited the process of building a competitive defense via the transfer portal. And I just find that to be very, very impressive. And a lot of these guys are, are multi-year guys, yeah. which Troy, Troy Brown's an exception, I suppose. But most of them, I mean, Kari Coleman's not going anywhere. Um, J.J. Pegues isn't going anywhere. I, I do wonder about the interior of their defense. I mean, Aaron Moore, Murray, who, by the way, I think was getting undue criticism. When you've never done what he's doing before, it's not going to sound good. Like, he's very new at this. Clearly a smart guy. I, I I didn't think he was near as bad as people were were making him out to be. I thought he pointed out some some good stuff, and he said the better teams are going to look at how Ole Miss lines up defensively, and they're going to run directly at them, and they either need to adjust schematically or or get better linebacker player or whatever. Because a couple of times, even Central Arkansas really found success running right up the middle because they have, I mean, essentially when you have as your ends on the tackles, record. yeah. When you have your ends on the tackles, you have three guards blocking sometimes two. And, and so they, they have a, a or a three guards. It's two guards in the center with, with a nose, and so they can very easily get to the second level on linebackers, creating a lot of space in the middle. So I, I wonder if they're going to make any adjustments there. I know they ran a similar defense last year, but it, it just feels like they, they concede a lot of space on the interior of their defense – and Kentucky's going to come to town. Maybe they have the NCAA thing settled with Rodriguez, but even if they don't, Kentucky's going to line up and try to physically run directly at Old Miss, and if they don't adjust that at all, if they try to line up in, in that way, which I don't expect them to, but if they do, they've got a problem on their hands because that's where Kentucky is going to beat you if you don't get better there. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and that's that's. I'm not. I would say I'm not sold on the linebacking unit as a whole just yet. The, I'd like to see kind of the Troy Brown, Austin Keys, Coleman thing, you know, against a formidable opponent. I just that is probably, and that was kind of the perceived weak point, right? Was the linebackers? If there was a weak point on this defense, what would that look like? And I'm curious to see how they kind of supplement that with the amount of guys in the secondary that they play around the line of scrimmage. And because, you know, last year they ended up being a pretty tough team to run on, right? It was a little bit of a similar story up until I would say AM was kind of the focal point, right? Where it was like, damn, these guys aren't giving them anything. And AM yeah. was kind of, remember, I remember doing all week, this is a bad matchup for Ole Miss because, you know, they run right at them or blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, I think they averaged under three yards a carry that night, which is pretty nuts. And I'm curious to see how they kind of bring that version of it together again. I didn't really have much of a takeaway other anything else in the game other than that. They played a bunch of dudes defensively. We saw some Taiwan Malone, um, Jonathan Mingo, just a healthy looking Mingo. He again, Central Arkansas, one of those defensive backs is equivalent to picking on me, but he looked really, really good. Um, and then Michael Trigg, the three touchdown night. If there was ever, I know he was a little bit swimming in camp. Um, I think there's also a lot of uh, 
freshman in him, or maybe I should call it second year player in him, just from a uh, kind of that standpoint, really doesn't even have anything to do with the actual like football stuff on some parts of that as well. But if there was ever any doubt that he was going to be a focal point or a huge piece of this offense, I think that okay. has been put to bed. He's going to play because he's a freak athlete and he's going to be a big piece of it. And, you know, that's something we haven't seen since Kiffin got told this. I know you got about four games of Kenny Yaboa in 2020. What an era that was. But you haven't seen a impact tight end, and he likes having one of those, right, from O.J. Howard to the um, Harrison Bryant, the Mackey Award winner at FAU a couple years ago, and that's something I'm interested in seeing. I'll just kick it to you before we hit around the SEC. Did anything else stick out? I just, <laughs> I'm struggling for observations in this one. UCA was uh, not a uh, worthy adversary. It's damn near impossible. Health, uh, you know, they, they appear to yeah. be healthy. Cedric Johnson came back in the game after he limped off the field, if I remember correctly. Which is good. Um, it, it's interesting with Trigg, uh, you know, obviously super talented. Um, I I hope for for all of you listening's sake that what he says in public is how he is in private because Kiffin essentially called him out after the game. Uh, I mean, he should have had a touchdown if he had a more physical play. He, he should have scored and didn't. Um, and, and Trigg after the game also, I guess, was asked about it and said, yeah, I, you know, that's inexcusable. I can't do that. Coach was right to call me on that. You hope that's their dynamic behind the scenes too, because if so, for the young player who's clearly – I don't know if struggled is the right word, but but the adjustment from USC to what is expected of him at Ole Miss has been uh, at times a tough one. I mean, he was the guy that was singled out at the beginning of camp for not being fully bought in. I mean, he, he was he was singled out early in, in training camp, and then he was again. So clearly there, there's been some kind of a disconnect, but if that's if the way he presented himself publicly is the way he's handling it privately, then you've got something. It's not just, you know, this is a hard concept for some to understand, as I've learned. Um, it's not just young quarterbacks that need time to learn and grow to become better players. It's everybody. He's a young tight end that has one game of experience before he came to Ole Miss and he got hurt. Um, he's a superstar in the making, but he's got to get himself there. And he's got to learn how to be a pro maybe isn't the right word, but he's got to learn how to be a pro. He's got to learn how to take every snap and rep seriously because when the games get more serious, you take a playoff, you cost your team, and, and that just takes time for a young player to learn. He made a bad mistake on Saturday. He didn't finish a play, and it cost his team seven points. Central Arkansas didn't matter, but do that in three weeks and tell me what happens. So he's learning too, just like the quarterbacks are. It's less impactful because the position he plays, but he needs the same grace. Being a pro is just the exactly the way to put it. You're right. He does need the grace period. They're younger kids. That's why, you know, it's not, you know, he's not a first round pick for the Chicago Bears or something. And they're wondering what's wrong with this kid, right? That does take time. But these kids basically are professionals in uh, this day and age of college athletics. I think that's well put. We'll get back to Michael Borky in a second, but we wanted to take a quick break to remind you the podcast is brought to you by our friends at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a proven full-service online therapy uh, service that will help you find a uh, help you get in touch with a licensed therapist within 48 hours. Uh, you can go on camera. You can just talk to someone. You don't have to go face-to-face -face if you want to. Therapy is just like anything else. We put gas in our cars. We get the tires changed. We do regular maintenance on it. There's no different than going to the doctor for a checkup. Uh, how our brain performs affects the way we live. You want to make sure your brain is performing at a uh, peak capacity. 
And that's why therapy is great. Sometimes it's just nice to talk to someone, uh, get whatever you got on your chest off of it and uh, free up some uh, and get in a better mental place. So check them out, betterhelp.com. Use the promo code MPW and you get 20% off. The podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see my man, Greg. If you're a Rippy Rights subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter for me as well as discounted meats. Right now it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. Go chat, show him proof of subscription. He'll get you hooked up with that. Then go find your own favorites at LB's. Oxford's so lucky to have a place like LB's. We've got the picks coming back this week. Uh, as Greg the Meat Sharp Jones returns, go see him. Go grab a juice stick for your dog. I saw he had those going. Um, but go check him out and find your own favorites. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Michael Warkey. Let's bounce around to what was actually interesting over the weekend. And I'll be damned if we don't start in College Station. App State goes on the road. So this was uh, this game occurred. I caught a lot of the night games. I, I caught a lot of the early games. That middle day window, I kind of went and hung out at my parents' Grove tent for about an hour and a half and missed a decent bit of it. But um, holy cow. <laughs> I don't know what App State's recruiting budget is. I don't know what Slice Bread um, is reporting that their NIL collective fund is, but I imagine it's not quite as big as uh, as uh, Texas A&M's is reported to be. And holy cow, what an embarrassing day for the Aggies. I don't really know any other way to put it than that. It just – there's a larger conversation to be had about Jimbo Fisher's outdated philosophy toward football – but I think that goes to show the talent that they have kind of underscores that, right? You can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have a good scheme, you are going to be held back and you are going to be handicapped. Maybe Ed Ogeron at Ole Miss in 07 was a good example of that. Even Houston Nutt went to back-to-back cotton balls with that talent. Wow, what a day. And good for App State. They're a very fun program. The celebration videos were cool. It sucks that they got stuck in College Station because of flight issues. But um, what a day, and uh, really, this is a Texas A&M thing. What a terrible loss. My God. Yeah, I would love to see a side-by-side comparison of how much each roster cost. Oh, I would. I, I, I need that like I need air to breathe. Well, what made that game so pathetic if you're Texas A&M is App State went in there with a ball control strategy. They played keep away from Texas minutes. A&M. They played freaking keep away from Texas A&M successfully. In College Station, see, this is what I spent all offseason talking about, maybe too much even. Uh, I heard that, that I spent too much time talking about Texas A&M, but I would read and consume national college football stuff, and all of them, is Texas A&M ready to compete and be a playoff team? No. No, they're not. Maybe one day they can talent their way to wins. Maybe so. Georgia's but it's not fair to say that George is doing that. They have an NFL offensive coordinator calling their plays. Guy, the, the, George's offensive coordinator was an NFL OC with Tampa, and he was a very successful head coach at Southern Miss. It, it's not like Georgia is just winning on talent. They're winning on, on good coaching as well. And maybe, again, maybe Texas a will be able to buy their way to wins at, at some point, but I think they are so limited because of who's in charge. And that, that's weird to say because he has a national championship and you got to respect Jimbo, but why? That, that offense appears to be dated. It, it's, it, quarterback development has been a problem for him since Jameis. And did he really develop Jameis? I mean, you know, maybe that's getting too much into the weeds. Point is, it has been quite some time 
since Jimbo Fisher's had quality quarter, quarterback play and a really good offense. And, and you think you're just going to talent your way to wins in the SEC? Alabama doesn't talent their way to wins. Now, that certainly helps. But, I mean, my gosh, man, Lane Kiffin was their offensive coordinator. Steve Sarkeesian was an offense. They, they, they are exceptionally well coached on top of having elite-level talent. Georgia is exceptionally well coached on top of having elite-level talent. It, can you say the same about Texas A&M? I don't think so. They are limited with who is running their offense, and it shows every single Saturday since he's been at Texas A&M. They're limited really, offensively. It really has, and Georgia's actually a pretty good example to use as kind of the distorted mirror image because you mentioned the national storylines about them. Like, when you recruit at the level that they have for four years now – this is kind of what come next, right? Georgia and Kirby started doing it, and then boom, they're in a national title game. I always thought the whole, like, Kirby can't win the big one. They're not ever going to be on the elite level because of X, Y, or Z. And it's like, well, they're recruiting. They're also winning their division. They're playing for SEC titles, and he was the second and 26 away from the national championship. Like, I don't, I never really understood that one. Where the A&M thing, I absolutely understand it. It's exactly what you're talking about. They have good coaching. They are well coached. They have a good scheme on top of having better players than pretty much everyone else they line up against on a weekend and week out basis. A&M now has the players. I don't know what else you can blame it on at this point, right? I mean, look, if you don't have good quarterback play, then, you know, it's hard to really win at an elite level in college football. But my counter to that would be is I think Stetson Bennett's a little bit underrated. Um, just kind of his path and, you know, having the Georgia name and being around there a while or whatever. Like, I think he's underrated, but is there that big of a drop-off between Stetson Bennett and Haynes King? And maybe sixth-year or ninth-year Stetson Bennett is not the greatest example, but fourth- or fifth-year Stetson Bennett, is there that much of a difference? And so I don't know what you can blame it on other than coaching. You know, it's a bad loss, but App State is a good program, and I'm not excusing it to, at that point. They should not be losing to anyone like this, but this was kind of the perfect thorn in the side for a &M. They yeah. had enough talent on the other side of the ball, being App State, that if you aren't well-coached and you don't have a good game plan or scheme and quarterback play, that type of team is going to let you know, and you're going to be in a dogfight that you might end up on the wrong side of, right? Yeah. That's kind of how I viewed that yesterday, and where do you go from here? Do you, have you seen their schedule? I this got pointed out to me yesterday. I hand up. I didn't know this. Have you seen their schedule? It's ter it's brutal. It's horrible. Now, Miami struggled with Southern Miss this past weekend, though. So I, I'm not exactly can. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they turned around and beat Miami, but it's brutal. It is. I mean, here I'll try. I was trying to pull it up in real time. It's Miami next week, and that game is in College Station, right? It is. And then you pretty much, they get into their SEC slate. Um, and hold on, I'm going to get it up. This is bad podcasting, but I feel like it's important to just roll through it. Because if you lost to App State, and they didn't look great in their week one game against, New, was it one of the New Mexico schools? Uh, uh, Sam Houston State is Sam who Houston, okay, That's what it was. Well, you go Miami, and then, of course, I can't get this to work. Miami, Arkansas at home, at Mississippi State, at Alabama, at South Carolina, Ole Miss, Florida at home, at Auburn, before oh. UMass. Out of those games, what do you pencil in as they absolutely are going to win this? Like, problem solved. Is At it South Carolina yeah. is the only game where I think they're going to go in there and they're going to win that game. Because they're just a lot better, like, you know what I mean, talent-wise across the board. Yeah. I mean, 
at state at Alabama following up home Arkansas and I say home Arkansas that game's in Arlington but you got that neutral side game after you play Miami and then you go back to back. I mean, they're going to lose two state and Alabama unless something changes. And look, we always overreact. We're always bad in the moment. This sport is bizarre week to week. Could they put it together, play a hell of a lot better and beat Arkansas and Mississippi state? Sure. But if they aren't coached better and they don't look a lot better than they have offensively, they're not going to beat either. of them. No. And Mississippi state has had success against them lately. And I mean, I don't know if the the look ahead is a real thing. I think it is. What a classic look ahead spot. The week before you're in Tuscaloosa, you've got 60,000 cowbells that you've got to deal with. And the Mike Leach, and look, they played Memphis and Arizona. We're going to learn about Mississippi State for the first time, really, this weekend. But Will Rogers looks so comfortable, and everything is on time with him right now. Every he's getting the ball out fast and on time and accurate. And that's the week before they go to Tuscaloosa and the super emotional. How dare you call me a cheater game? That is a horrible spot to go to Starkville. I mean, they're in trouble, man. And I, I, I made the graphic, the Texas eight and four graphic, but I, I mean, looking at the rest of this schedule, where are the other seven wins coming from i mean you get umass probably south carolina even the ones that should be easier not at home right Uh, right like they're at auburn and i will say if you if if they play poorly and they they, these next couple games don't go well let's just say they beat miami next weekend but you lose to arkansas and state then you're going to go kind of get punished at alabama they should beat south carolina but where's your head at oh they have a bye week in between actually never mind I was going to say yeah. the next week, where's your head at in Columbia? But it appears there's a bye week in between. So probably get right there. But that's – man, he's up against it. But what do you do if they're them? Like it, I, everyone talks about the money and, well, you just gave him this contract and he's making 115 or $110 million or whatever it is. My counterpoint to that is – and I, I've i seen this written and hinted at elsewhere by other people that I kind of like you know respect and trust as well. What does it matter – in the day and age of NIL, just pay the guy out and go buy another one. Like, go get another coach. You know what I mean? Everyone talks about huge buyout, huge contract. At, at what point has anyone at this day and age of college football not fired a guy because of the buyout? They always find a way, right? They were trying to – Gus wins the West in 17 or whatever that year was, has a bad year in 18. It's like a $40 million buyout, which how ridiculous does that seem at all? Now, just four years later, doesn't seem that much at all, does it? Like, and guess yeah. what? They were almost trying to get that bought out. Like, you know what I mean? I get that he's probably not getting fired anytime soon. If this season goes completely off the rails, then it wouldn't shock me. But just the general idea when you talk about AM, why not just go get another one? What does the money matter anymore? I've been told it's it's limitless and endless resources. Why does that not apply to a buyout that's probably going to – you'll find a way to get it down to eight figures. I guess, but I mean, these are the same people that are are buying your recruiting classes. So, so you're going to ask them, "Hey, that's you true. G- you you gave us a few million bucks to buy one recruiting class. Now you're going to have to give us ninety million dollars to get rid of Jimbo, and then another ninety million dollars in guarantees to get the next guy. And oh, by the way, a few million more to get this recruiting class." Well, do you neg them and just say, mm, we heard you're not actually as rich as you think? Like, 
that plane. <laughs> Try to alpha him. Yeah. I heard it was leased. By the way, we'd like to buy this guy out. Can you uh can you help us out? Like we are you really as rich as you say you are? That's yeah. a strategy. But, I'll send that to Ross. I'll email it to him. This could be the the first dynamic. So th there were two things that were inevitable, I always thought, with NIL. The first one was people are going to stop paying what they currently pay. That The Miami and, and the Tennessee quarterback and all that, that was going to end up going away because the inevitability of one of these multi-million dollar quarterbacks being bad it's I say the inevitability of that. It is inevitable that one of these multi-million dollar quarterbacks is going to end up being bad and people are going to stop paying as much. We've even heard that out of Miami. The guy that's paying all the kids at Miami has said publicly, or at least to Ross Dellinger, I don't know if I'm going to do it like this anymore. So that that's already <laughs> happening. And the other would be the added pressure on coaches because of how much more expensive the recruiting classes are. So usually when you think a coach is safe, but when you look at, sorry, Jimbo, what they paid for to get your recruiting class and you don't win, they are either going to stop buying those recruiting classes or find somebody that will win with them shorter than they ever have before. I think that's where we're going, though. You're right. Like, that's the interesting piece about it, right? You bring up the Miami guy, which is a fascinating point. I always wondered if we'd get to this point to where – I always point it out and look, maybe it's just the same thing as giving donations to your school and like people just like the clout of it. Because again, you know, you don't just give them a couple million and like, okay, thanks for doing your part. They treat you okay for it as well. Like, you know what I mean? They're well compensated. It becomes a social status thing to some degree, but I do wonder these rich people did not get rich by making terrible business decisions repeatedly. I wonder if there is look now, these people giving money, what are the odds they ever just say, no, I'm done? Of course not. But what are the odds they're, you know, scale it back some, like the Miami guy, like you're saying. I always wondered if we get to that point because as – what is this, the Andy Staples phrase where he says 17-year-old uh, quarterback prospects are bad investments or just 17-year-olds are bad investments? Yeah, like no kidding. That's kind of how this works. And But I think we end up – like, you know, when push comes to shove, like which one ends up more happening? I think they're just going to continue spending money and they're going to find the guy that does win with, the, with these recruits. I don't know. Only one is. national championship trophy is given out a year. Yeah, exactly. Like the, and he has one. Like to Fisher's credit, he has one, and it's not a bad. Like it, this wasn't a bad hire, right? This is just this didn't work out, and you kind of got fooled by it. It's just hilarious because of how much they committed to him immediately, right? Jimbo Fisher, good coach, national championship winning coach. The contract that he got, the first one and the extension. You could argue that wasn't totally warranted. Like what, dude? The extension was not at all. I mean, yeah, I, like I, I talked about it at the time, and, and was it, anyway. I talked about it at the time, and my thought was Ross just negotiated against himself. For, yeah, which, who, who is poaching your coach in August? What What are you doing? Why is that happening now? And then that look, look at what has happened since. It's it's a bizarre situation. I wonder if there's a lot of hubris involved because nobody should have let him take the podium like he did this summer. And instead of preventing that from happening, they cheered it on. <laughs> and the same thing with his clown comments from Lane Kiffin. Lane, Ki I mean, Lane said what he said and probably shouldn't have, but he wasn't lying. And instead of releasing a statement or whatever or getting asked about it like get olin buchanan to ask you about it first at the press conference and say 
you know, hey, that sounds like sour grapes to me. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing, and we're not worried about what anybody else thinks about what we're doing here at Texas A&M. It's all you have to say. Twice this offseason, they went on the attack, and leadership there cheered it on. And this is our coach, and we're in this together, and Aggies and all that stuff. The, the way they present themselves is different than anybody else in college football. And because of that, I don't know if it means they're stuck or whatever, but they certainly appeared to be satisfied, or at least until this loss, with what they've gotten on that investment so far because he has a ranch in Texas and, and an accent and wears belt buckles. Like, it, it's so bizarre. He has not earned the undying love that they have given him, and yet, even when he screws up, they cheer it on. And it's also weird because the one one loss season he had was the COVID year. And I mean, you could argue in some assets going 10 and one in an all SEC schedule is actually like even more impressive than going 11 and one yeah. years. But it's that year that everyone seems to be like, eh, like if you want to use the COVID year to strengthen your argument, you can. If you want to use it to weaken it or uh, to to kind of weaken someone's case for something, you can't either. And it's just weird that his peak season so far happened in a completely unprecedented situation. But, yeah, the negotiating against yourself part is weird. Like, I just picture Jimbo being in there and be like, you know, Ross, I love this. Uh, $10 million a year, this is great. Ross is like, you know, we're thinking 12. Final offer. He's like, okay, sure. <laughs> what, what were you doing? I, I don't get it either. It's it's a mess, and I'm curious to see how bad it gets. Do they rebound? Can they win three of the next four and rebound and kind of right the ship after an embarrassing loss? Or does this get sideways? Because the schedule sets up to where, as we just covered, if it gets real sideways, you could see an unprecedented buyout be had and them go find someone. Because I can tell you that they are not – like patience is, is, is a virtue, but it doesn't exist in this industry, and it doesn't exist in the situation that he's in. So – Good for App State. Incredible win. Um, they get game day next week. That's really cool. I guess before we get to the Alabama-Texas part, Sunbelt teams, how about that? We have been on this for a little bit. I know you and I have discussed this a couple of times. It's a good league, and they're well run. They've doubled down on the regional conference rivalries. They've expanded smartly. They're kind of cool with the TV thing they got going with ESPN. Well, they just went and had three road wins at Power 5 conferences, Nebraska, uh, Georgia Southern beating them and Marshall winning, going in and beating Notre Dame. Uh, that's a good league. And I don't know if it becomes kind of one A, one B with the American in terms of group of five, but I forget the guy's name who runs that conference. I've looked him up before hats off to them in that league because they've in a, you know, you talked about this earlier in a kind of an age where it seems like these smaller conferences are dying and getting picked off and poached. The Sun Belt is thriving and they're a fun league. Yeah, they have. Does any conference have this resume? They have a win at Virginia Tech, a win at Notre Dame, a win at Nebraska, and a win at Texas A&M. Does That's any other so. conference have that resume? And Southern Miss just joined that. This is, you know, Will Hall ranted about his fans last week at the end of the Liberty game and called the the, the crowd support embarrassing. And in fairness to him, he also called himself embarrassing. But um He's right. I, I I don't like fan shaming. I think a million dollar football coach should not be critical of people um, choosing to not spend their money on a team that has not lost fewer than five games since 2011. Um, you, you've got to win first before people start showing up. But he's also right in that they're not in the Conference USA anymore. It's App State. It's Coastal Carolina. It's Old Dominion. 
Marshall just beat Notre Dame. It's it's an entire Georgia State should have beaten North Carolina this past weekend. It is an entirely different animal, and it's much tougher. And that they are compared to their conference counterparts, really lacking in support right now. And and I, I I can't help but wonder if that came from a place beyond just this crowd tonight wasn't good. It's a I'm going to turn on the TV and and see Boone, North Carolina, and there's 30,000 people there, and there's not an empty seat. And then I'm going to turn on the Coastal Carolina game, and here's this dynamic quarterback. And, oh, by the way, there's not an empty seat, and I've got 11,000 people in my stadium for Liberty. I don't – that's a great point. You're exactly right. I, they, I think that absolutely came from that place. And one of the things about the Sun Belt, too, it's good football. I like all kinds of college football. Don't get me wrong. I love the matching piece of it, the late-night West Coast game. But you know you watch some of those leagues, and it's like, all right, particularly if you're wagering on it, it's like, what did I just get myself into? This guy can't stop anyone. This quarterback just threw the ball backwards. I'm having fun, but I'm not – like, this isn't great. This is not a great product. Whereas – the Sun Belt is different. Like Coastal and uh, ULL playing on a Wednesday night in November is like good football. It's fun. App State Coastal is fun. Georgia Southern Coastal is fun. And like, you know, the list kind of goes on and on where you get five, six programs into that league deep and you're like, this is actually pretty good football. And they're like fun brands. Like Coastal has a great time with Chadwell, right? Georgia Southern's kind of the ratchet cousin of the Georgia schools. App State's in a beautiful part of the country. Like they're they're fun brands as well. And it's just a very unique situation that's managed to, to thrive kind of amidst this sea of chaos in college football. Yeah. I'm happy for them. It's cool. It is really cool. I, I love it. I uh, I wish our local team was a little bit better, but they still need time to, to figure that out. But I mean, man... It, that trip to Boone is going, and I don't know how many of their fans are going to make it, but Boone is a really cool little town uh, and a great setting. And that that's the kind of stuff, and I mentioned it last week, so I don't need to be repetitive, but when people said college football is ruined, it, no, it's not ruined. It's just requiring adaptation. Yep. The Sun Belt has adapted, and they are freaking thriving in the NIL era. Appalachian State and Coastal Carolina are thriving in an era that that is all pay for play, right? Well, doesn't matter to them. It's all about adaptation. And at the end of the day, they are a fun, compelling product in a situation where people didn't think that was possible. Alabama, Texas. What a game. I'll throw one crazy take at you. Am I crazy for thinking that if Quinn Ewer stays in that game, Texas kicks their ass. I didn't think Hudson Card was terrible, but and like Chase pushed back, I think a little bit. Maybe I'm misremembering, but I did see some stuff on. I read some stuff this morning that didn't seem necessarily agree with the sentiment. The game plan for Texas changed like drastically when Quinn Ewers went out of the game. It was we're going to take shots at that little speedy kid they had and the other guy on the outside, and like we think we can beat them in some one-on-one matchups. And they were scared to let Hudson Card throw the football down the field, and if not for a borderline legendary performance from Texas's defense that game had 37 10 or 31 10 Alabama written all over it it felt like Texas was hanging on for dear life whereas you get that performance from their defense Alabama's offensive line got exposed if you were stationed that game don't they win by 10 points why why convince me otherwise I can't. I that I thought and I even wild. said it in what in my one of my group messages I even said the game just ended when yours when got hurt, I thought that, that was the end of the game and, and Alabama was going to win. 
And, and like you said, Carr did fine, but dude, that I I doubted uh, Quinn Ewers going into this game because if you think about it, the only the best competition he's ever played against in his life going into that game were high school kids and Louisiana Monroe. Pretty much that's, Allen. Now, to your credit, that's a whole nother level of high school football. I witnessed, I covered a couple of South Lake Carroll games the year he left for Ohio State. They, they were tailgating, but to your point, it's it's not it's not it's, it's not Alabama. No, it's high school kids, Louisiana Monroe, and then Alabama. And buddy, he was prepared for that moment. He was a, electric. I think a bunch of things can be true at once. First, I agree. I think if he doesn't get hurt, Texas wins that game. So I think it's true that Texas is better. I don't think they're back, but they are clearly better. They've got some guys that are good players. I think they'll compete for the Big 12 this year. I think it can also be true that Alabama is never going to play that poorly again. I guarantee they will not have, what was it, 15 penalties? That's not going to happen again. It, it won't. But I also think it's true that Alabama's got problems that I'm not quite sure are correctable with uh, some Nick Saban ass chewings. I think they are vulnerable. I think they're vulnerable on the offensive line. I don't think they're great at receiver, although apparently they're going to get be getting healthy there here soon, but they're not great there. Um, Gibbs is fine. He's, he's a good player, but he's not a great Alabama running back. I think they are susceptible. Will they probably still win the West? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't vote against them, but they are human. And I don't think it's just they played bad and, oh, Nick Saban's going to be mad now. And No, I don't think it's that simple. They played poorly. They were sloppy. I expect them to clean that up. But that doesn't change that you've got issues up front. And that doesn't change that your wide receivers can't get separation. The lack of the deep threat in the offensive line is the real kicker to me because their defensive line is still sick. And uh, yeah. one thing that Nick Saban will correct is how many penalties and how undisciplined they played. That was almost beyond like recognition for an Alabama defense. And look, I get the jokes about the favorable whistle and that they probably do get one most of the time, but the way they were committing penalties defensively was jaw dropping to me because you're just not used to that happening. I can guarantee you, we probably don't see that piece of it anymore. I bet they get that rectified, but them not having the, the Jamison Williams or the Mechie or the deep threat coupled with their offensive line being vulnerable. That to me changes a lot. They're going to be hard as hell to score on. Don't get me wrong, but there also might be a little bit easier to stop than we might have thought. And that kind of leads itself into the larger conversation about Ole Miss and the U.S. as a whole. The West is gettable. My, the best team I've seen so far, and again, I think Alabama will end up still end up being probably the best team. So, but this is just off two weeks. Arkansas has been the most impressive team in the West to me by far. I don't know if you agree with that. but like, if the, And if that's the case, this West is wide open. I don't think we know anything about Ole Miss. I think LSU will probably end up being better than they've showed against Florida State, and I think that game for Ole Miss will be a difficult one because playing in Baton Rouge is just that difficult. I think Auburn will be competitive, but that could get weird. I don't think they're great. Alabama's human. A&M did exactly what they did. State's pretty good, but you get my point. Like It's like I like a lot of these teams. I don't love any of them, and it feels more gettable than it has – at any point in the last five years to me, because we're just so used to Alabama throttling everybody. Absolutely. It, we'll learn. We'll, we'll get a good lesson about LSU and Mississippi State this yeah. weekend. We'll, we'll, we'll learn a lot about them. Arkansas has passed a couple of tests already. I, I do think, you know, getting both of those games at home and, and South Carolina still got a ways to go from a roster perspective to be competitive against the better teams in the SEC. Um, I, but I love KJ Jefferson. I, I wonder if his body's going to hold up. That he really, he reminds me of Cam Newton in, in the way that that he physically just takes 
a pounding. I mean, Cam Newton's NFL career was just filled with just every Sunday, just physically getting beat up and it weighed on him and it cost him some. I I hope that doesn't happen to Jefferson because he's a hell of a player. Seems like a good kid, but man, I mean, in the third quarter of that South Carolina game, he was playing great and, and the offense was moving the ball, but I looked at him and it's like, he just looks just like he just gets beat up. And, and can you sustain that for an entire season, especially with their schedule? They've got the most difficult schedule in the SEC. By the way, they've got a road trip to Provo coming up. Oh, yeah. They just beat Baylor in Provo. Arkansas is going to be there. And so Arkansas, they've got Missouri State and Texas A&M. Alabama at Mississippi State at BYU. Who scheduled that? What I get you an idiot. Yeah, who scheduled so that's that. the third week, second or week of October. Is that what that is? That is the October fifteenth, Saturday. I, I don't love that. I, I I don't know who put that on the schedule, but I imagine Sam Pittman was like, oh, can "That's we after that? playing Cincinnati, the yeah. best group of five team in America, or maybe not. Maybe it's BYU, considering what they just did." I'm not shaming them for scheduling it. I just, why not have that in September? You know what I mean? Like, that, yeah. that's, a, that's a tough one for the Or just play Utah State. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> just, just go call up your buddy Blake Anderson and just say, yeah. hey, let's get this home and home on the schedule. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, I can't even sustain it through a year. I mean, the Cam thing, one of the most impressive things I ever saw Cam Newton do is actually a playoff loss to the Saints. I think it was actually his last good year where Saints won the game. Carolina was the wild card team. I think they were the second wild card to get in. He had them on all, all, what was – I can't remember his game-winner, game-tying drive that ended up with the turnover that wasn't his fault. But you talk about a guy that took a beating for three hours and just kept standing back up, and it looked like kind of one of Cam's last stands. And, and, you know, it's easy to say that now that he's out of the league. But the Jefferson thing is interesting because if he does miss time, I'll end up – I don't know who their backup is, but there's no way they can run the same offense than they do with the 6'6", 250-pound kid out there, right? Like, it's it's different. It's It's – it's, it's going to look drastically different, and so they need him healthy. Can he make it through? Last thing before I hit just a couple NFL thoughts and let you get out of here for up until midnight, but Florida-Kentucky, awesome game. Kentucky, that was a prove-it win. I figured there'd be some sort of letdown from the Anthony Richardson thing. I think Florida's a good team. I think that was an incredible performance. I don't, I don't mean to discount what they did in week one, but I just wasn't ready to anoint them as a top-10 team in this version of Billy Napier. And they got beat by a really good veteran roster um, that just kind of had more continuity is what I thought. And Richardson came down to earth a little bit, right? Like there was never the way he was the guy that was as bad as times it looked under Dan Mullen. And there's never the way that he just all of a sudden became as good as he looked against Utah, right? It was always going to be somewhere in the middle. And we got the middle ground in a tough turnover late, swung the game is what basically seemed the story of that one. Yeah, a couple of pretty mind-blowing decisions, but that that was a good glimpse into what Kentucky's going to come to Oxford to to do as well. I I understand that NFL scouts love Will Levis, and they would know more than me because I'm not a scout. So who am I to question them? Are we sure he's great? Are we sure? I know he's got a skill set and and all that stuff, but in terms of in this offense playing quarterback for Kentucky. Are we sure he's great? Because he, and the Swamp is a tough place to play. I get it. But that was another really mediocre SEC game for him. And that's really all he's done in SEC play is just put out, just 
kind of that. And they won the game. So what difference does it make? And I know the skill set's there, but in terms of playing the position for the team he's on, are we sure he's great? It's it's the it's less about him being great and but better than what they have and how much. Because I agree with you. I keep hearing the Will Levis, the Will Levis. He could play his way into a first round pick. He does some stuff where I'm like, oh, I see that. Like it's like he make a throw or two where I'm like, whoa, okay, this guy because he looks good too. He's got a nice build and it's like I can see it. But then he'll go what two and a half quarters of a game where you're like, I kind of forgot you were the quarterback. Honestly, like there's just nothing that stuck out. But is he better? I always want to say Terry Bowden because I'm confusing Lynn Bowden and the Terry. What was the remember the the really small mobile quarterback they had? Like how much better is he than that in those days? I forget the kid's name, but you get my point. Like how yeah. much better is he than that? Because Kentucky won eight eight games a couple of times, nine games once with that. Like if he's better than that, can you make the jump because the roster is good around you? Also question some of the roster stuff because they do have a couple guys that kind of. I won't say got processed out of Ole Miss, but Ole Miss wasn't dying for them to uh, stay playing on the field as well. But it is also is Kentucky. So, like, I don't know what the expectations are. I think this team, though, I will say, after going on the road and doing that, I think this team could find a way to get fortunate and win 10 games. If they win in Oxford, that 10 is absolutely on the, uh, in the question. Hell, 11 is, as ridiculous as that sounds, but – yeah, I'm kind of with you. Like, jury's still out on Levis, but they're just a really good, complete football team. And, and they'll be for, physical. Uh, yeah, and good for Stoops for kind of just, you know, giving a little, uh, little F you to uh, John Calipari because, uh, you know, it's been a while since he won an NCAA tournament game, and this guy just keeps winning and winning, and their program keeps slowly getting better and better. And, you know, he's one of the last remaining examples where patience was afforded to him because it was a job like that, and then it took him a while to build it. And now look what he's built. It's the kind of the envy of a lot of places. And um, so that game. Mark Stoops never lost to St. Peter's. So he did not. He never lost to St. Peter's. Never lost to St. Peter's. With the mustache around. Like, did that kid play for Heritage Academy? Did I play against Or him? Robert Morris. Never lost to Robert Morris either. That's right. <laughs> in an NIT game. So I, Kentucky's good. They're impressive. I think that's George. I think to me that more confirmed George's division to lose for sure. I mean, they're going to probably destroy everybody. Yes. Um. But Tennessee, tough tough start to that game. But to, you know, there's a lot of value to be put in teams that are just tough and always hang around on the road in tough environments. And Heupel early on at Tennessee, they just do that. They aren't perfect. They make some mistakes. There's times where you're like, oh, my God, what's going on with them? But they don't ever just get embarrassed in a road setting because they look ill-prepared or because the moment they just succumb to it. They always just kind of hang around. And there's something to be said for that because, like, you know, Matt Luke was kind of the opposite of that, right? I'm not comparing Hypo to Matt Luke, but you get my point. Like, I don't think Pitt's great, but to go win in that environment after the way that game started was super impressive to me. Yeah, it was. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of Hendon Hooker as well. I, I, I said going into that game that, that that's going to be the, okay, if Tennessee is back, this is, the, this is the game that they need to win. Like, there's no excuse to lose this game if they are quote-unquote back. It, it was impressive. They're not ready yet, which is fine. I mean, there's no reason to think that they should be, but they're not ready yet. And, and people are, you know, if they're they're going to rattle off a couple of wins here, you know, they're going to beat Akron. They've got Florida at home. Going into that game in Baton Rouge, if they're undefeated, people are going to do the Tennessee is back thing. And, and I just, they're not quite there yet, but it's a fun product with a good quarterback. Maybe they get there eventually. 
But for now, that's all they are. Yeah, that's the but exactly. And like it, it will honestly depend on what level he's able to recruit at with this kind of Jeremy Pruitt induced cloud they have over their head. But like that's the game that Butch Jones loses 27 20 because they turned yeah. it over four times, right? Or something bizarre like that. I know he had the Hail Mary streak where they won a couple of those games, but like that type of game Butch Jones loses because they have seven or eight plays, quarterback makes a bad decision where it's like, what are these guys doing down here type of thing? And so that was a good one. I don't – do we miss anything else that kind of covered in college football-wise? Um, um, let's see. I don't think I don't so. Well, Kan Kansas is 2-0. And they um, took it to them. They took it to West Virginia and Neil Brown. And I was listening to Neil McCready on the postgame show last night saying he talked to someone that was like, hey, like, get your Kansas jokes, and now this Lance Leopold guy is going to do a good job and will probably come up for the Nebraska gig. I can't pretend I've watched a bunch of Kansas. I watched maybe a quarter of that game after I got back to my house, but good for him. Like they seem formidable. They're going to ruin someone's year. They may have just ruined Troy Brown's job security, but yeah. Hopefully Texas again, because, yeah, uh, because why be not? Um, no, as far as anything else, uh, I mean, Iowa's offense has scored one touchdown in two games. They have played Iowa state and South Dakota and their offense has one single touchdown one so that's I, something i love i i like big 10 football i think it's a change of pace i think the cool thing about college football is you play different brands of football regionally i think the wave is very cool how do you get six beers deep and jacked up to going into that stadium to be like if we score two touchdowns this shit's over like, I just – I don't understand. Those fans are going nuts. Like, you got people every time they show them, they look like they're having a great time. How are you having that good of a time watching that, I guess? Maybe I'm just not from the Midwest. Maybe I don't get it. But, like, that's wild to me that they all look that happy all the time watching that. You've never been to Iowa. That's fair. Have you? That's totally fair. <laughs> I drove through one small sliver of it as I rented a car from Kansas City Airport to Omaha. But, yes, I, I'm not familiar that with Iowa, but, wow, I just – I don't get it. Anything that's happening in the big city, man, gets you gets you fired up. So fair enough. Um, no, it's terrible, and, and that's Kurt Ferentz's son who had an abysmal offense a year ago. Good team, bad offense it makes it worse. And the, the nepotism, uh, ooh, and, and people going into this season had Kurt Ferentz ranked ahead of Lane Kiffin in, in coach rankings. I can tell you who I would pick first, a hundred times out of a hundred, and ain't uh, Kurt Ferentz. I can, too. Before we let you get out of here, anything NFL stick out with you today? My Titans pissed one away. We out we out Giants the Giants. That kind of stunk. Um, weird things always happen in week one, right? I, one of the announcers brought up an incredible point that I'd forgotten about. Remember the Saints just housing the Packers last year in week one? Yeah. Throwing dirt on Aaron Rodgers. Like, weird stuff happens in week one, so I'm always hesitant to take away anything, but anything stand out to you today from the NFL action? Um, it's currently happening. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys and mad. You know, anybody with a functioning brain knew that they were going to struggle offensively going into the season. Didn't think it was going to be this bad, though. I, I mean – Yes, Smith got hurt, and, and he's, when he's healthy, a very, very good offensive tackle. But even without him, it shouldn't look like this. And, I mean, Sean Payton's going to be their coach next year, and so maybe things change. But for right now, after you, you dish out some mega contracts, especially one to your quarterback, the ROI is just not there. And to paying Zeke, like, they're going the opposite of the way the NFL is going. Like, I get they understand probably that Zeke's a bad contract, but I saw Colin Coward made this point where, like, Jerry Jones got on first take and was like, we go as Zeke go. I'm like, 
buddy, have you watched this league these days? That's, that's not how this works. Like the Titans found a mutant of a human in Derrick Henry and rode them to an AFC title game. But like that was a pretty good quarterback play and a great defense. Like I just don't get yeah. it. The- 50 yards rushing tonight for Zeke Elliott, 102 passing yards from Prescott with 12 minutes to go in the fourth. That's not going to cut it. I will say I I'll probably have a soft spot in my heart for this guy. Unfortunately, they just – I say unfortunately, I don't care. I was glad the Saints won. They Falcons the way the game. Marcus Mariota is a competent quarterback. Like, if he gets another shot with another team, whether it's the Falcons or whatever, like for three or four more years, you can win games with that guy. He had a bad injury record. They built a bad team around him, and he wasn't good enough to overcome that. And, they again, they Falcons that game away hard. But he's a competent NFL quarterback. He's 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 good, and he's a really nice man, too. So, like, I, I, enjoy, I yeah. enjoy Marcus Mariota. I watched him in a press conference one time say a cuss word and apologize for it. And then, like, one of the Titans guys was like, that's the first time we've heard him cuss. So, I was happy <laughs> to see him play well, and the Saints still got a win. Yeah, they did. Uh, Jay, the, the offensive line's a huge issue for the Saints. I mean, I know they had a miraculous comeback and, and all that, but they were horrible up front for two and a half quarters of that game. And then I don't know if they got better or, or changed scheme or whatever, but they've got issues there, uh, even in spite of the win. But don't discount Jameis Winston. He was exceptional in the second half today, he like legitimately awesome in the second half today. And you saw Mike Thomas on a football field again. Like they got two weapons. touchdowns. Yeah. Two of Abave, them. Like I know he caught the two point conversion, I think is what it was. And like, I assume he'll be a pretty big fan. Did you see where they got that from? No. So, so a lot of they last year at Ohio State ran that exact play and caught a touchdown pass. And Pete Carmichael, the offensive coordinator, was watching Olave film and loved the play so much that he told Chris, We're literally copying that play for you. And that's what they ran today. The exact play they stole essentially from Ohio State to make him comfortable and ran that play. That's a, that's the sign of a well-coached team. Justin Fields gets a win over Trey Lance in a weird game. The NFL should ban Soldier Field. I get it was raining. That turf always looks terrible. It's always awful weather. Like, is that a home field advantage where it's like, hey, congrats, you're going to play on this mush pit? I don't know what to make of Lance. Again, weird stuff always happens. The Niners were at 1.2-4 and four last year and then made it within, you know, minutes of the Super Bowl. But – I like Justin Fields a lot. I don't know how you feel about him, but I, I he seems like a guy that is doing his best to overcome incredible dysfunction around him. I know he put up like almost historically bad raw numbers last year, but I'd watch him on Monday night football games. Like he played a game in Pittsburgh last year. I was like, I know this sucks. I know the result is bad, but this guy is not bad. And he did it again today. He, he battled through a terrible offensive line and they somehow found a way to win that game. The defense, despite trading away a bunch of talent, still pretty good, but I thought just, I was impressed with Fields today, considering what he's working with. Yeah, and the single worst playing surface in sports history. I How mean, is that allowed? it's twenty twenty two. I don't understand that either. I mean, I, I guess they're going to build a new stadium, but that's what six years away. Uh, how they find that acceptable is pretty mind blowing to me. I mean, you've got, I mean, what four hundred million dollars worth of players on the field this year alone, and you're letting them play on that. Yeah, grow some grass, man. Like, what can you take a million of that and just grow it out? I just, it's, I don't know. Well, the, the issue apparently was drainage. Like, they, they they didn't do the drainage correctly on the field. So, when it rains, unless they can redo it somehow, like in the midweek, they're stuck that way. Like, if it rains, it's going to puddle. 
Well, the last time I heard that excuse, I was covering a high school game in Pelahatchee, and they're the Chicago Bears, so that seems like a gigantic <laughs> issue. That has been Talking Turf. He is Michael Borky. I appreciate you filling in, as always, my man. This has been a big help the last two weeks. And yeah. uh, you know, we'll do our normal check-in in a month or so. This is always a good time. Yeah, man, anytime. All right, that is our show. If you made it to the end, I appreciate you making this podcast a part of your day, as always. We uh feels like we got through two weeks of the preseason, and now uh, things are really about to ramp up. Uh, Weldon coming back this week. We got a real opponent as well uh, in Georgia Tech that Ole Miss is playing, and I feel like we're going to actually start learning stuff about this team and this the identity of this 2022 season. So we'll be back at it midweek. Might even throw a bonus pod your way with Weldon coming back. We'll see. Stay tuned, and we will catch you on Wednesday with Ryan Buchanan.